Hello and welcome to Conf Tea with your SC. I am your host, Brian Young, and as always, I am joined by my co-hosts, Brian Boyd and Joey D. Just a reminder that the thoughts and opinions expressed on this show are ours and do not necessarily represent the views of Cisco or their affiliates. While we are systems engineers employed by Cisco, recommendations and suggestions made on this show should not be considered as replacements for Cisco TAC or certified partner's advice. Please consult with these resources before making any major changes to your environment. Well, how's it going, guys? Doing well, Brian. Thanks for asking. Doing pretty good. Thanks, Brian. Fantastic. So we've got another exciting episode planned for today. We're going to be talking about refreshing your network and why it's important. Brian and and Joe, I'm sure you guys have come across this quite a bit, where we'll have customers that will hold on to hardware for a lot longer than we'd like to see them hold on to it. In a way, that's a good testament to the longevity of Cisco's hardware, but yes, it does come with some pitfalls. Our life cycles can definitely be out of line with customers' life cycles of their hardware, right? We're as our hardware refresh life cycle can be anywhere between five to ten years. Some customers may want to keep their hardware for seven, ten years or longer. Um, as you said, it's a good testament to the longevity of the hardware, um, but we can run into some problems when we start pushing hardware beyond its end of life date. Um, so I wanted to go in depth and help our listeners understand what Cisco's policies are when it comes to end of sale and end of life. Joe, can you touch on that? Yeah, I'm sure everyone's familiar with our typical EOS, EOL policy, um, and we'll make sure to share that link in the podcast notes. Um, the end of sale date is the actual last date to order a product through Cisco, whereas the end of product life cycle is when Cisco is making that product obsolete. So that's where they'll not manufacture it, improve, or do any type of software maintenances. Now, we usually give uh, about a six-month notice before an EOS actually takes effect, right, an end of sale. So it doesn't usually just get dropped out of nowhere with a few exceptions. Exactly. Um, So we had about six months notice before product is end of sale. And then, Brian, can you go a little bit more into the timeline here? Exactly. So as you mentioned, you got about six months uh, before it will go end of sale. Mm -hmm. Most of the time, you'll actually see around a year. Um, but at, at a minimum, you know, other than a few exceptions, you'll see six months. Um, from the end of sale date, you have exactly five years before it goes end of life. And as Joe mentioned, that's when manufacturing gets cut off, mm-hmm. um, all support is cut off, and all software updates are done. Yeah, and so for those five years, they'll have full access to Cisco TAC, um, the ability to download software releases and be you know made aware of any type of bugs or security flaws. Exactly. It gives you a five-year cushion to plan your next move as far as you know what to purchase, where to go from here. Okay. So you'll still have access to TAC, but you'll still have a sm- need to have a SmartNet uh, subscription. Exactly. To- as usual, you'll have to have you know your, your products covered under SmartNet support. Okay. As we get closer to that end-of-life date, we will see that support will no longer be able to be renewed um, so that those dates kind of line up, right? That we have a last date of support add, which is usually about a year before the end-of-life date itself. Um, so what happens after an end-of-life date is, is, is hit? I mean, the, the switches don't just turn off. They don't just stop working, obviously. And a lot of our customers will continue to run them in the environment. What are some of the risks of running hardware without support? Yeah, you know, they don't turn off. Um, as you mentioned, you know, they'll continue to run. Mm-hmm. Um, if the hardware is good, then you might not see any issues at all. 
Right. Uh, but where you're going to run into problems is, number one, you can't download any new software. Mm-hmm. Um, this is important for feature updates, of course, but even more important when vulnerabilities happen. Right. Um, and, and as much as I'd love to sit here and tell you that Cisco's products don't have any vulnerabilities, obviously that's not true. Every vendor is going to have them. Right. It's important that you get them patched as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. With these products, you can't do that. Uh, and the other piece of this is, as we touched on, Cisco TAC support. Mm-hmm. Um, that gets cut off completely. If, if you call on the TAC with one of these products that is end of life, they won't be able to help you. They'll only move it. The only move they have is to tell you to go ahead and upgrade that hardware. Okay. Yeah, and Brian, coming from the customer side, I'm sure you've seen, you know, if you have a piece of hardware in place and it's been running for five years, you know, if it's not broke, why are you going to mess around with it and fix it? Mm-hmm. But like Brian said, you know, Cisco can't tell the future. Next week, a major security vulnerability could be released um, or a major bug. And if the only fix is to upgrade the software or hardware and you don't have support, you know, you're going to be in some trouble. Right. And the other thing we see, too, is there there may be some vulnerability patches that can come out. If, if an, a very high-level vulnerability is announced and, and discovered, we may see a security patch come out for a piece of hardware that is no longer under support. However, that's, that's not guaranteed at all. No, and you definitely run the risk. You, know, you can't just count on major vulnerabilities being patched because BU has no obligation to work on those products anymore. Right. Okay. And again, we'll, we'll be sure to post the details of our EOS EOL policy in the show notes attached to this episode. And then just one thing quick um, for any customers, partners, or vendors listening to this. Uh, if you're not, I would subscribe to the Cisco notification service, which mm-hmm. will give you automatic updates on any you know, P-cert releases, any bug fixes, or any major software releases. That's a very good point. Where can we find that, Joe? We're going to put the link in the yep, show notes? Yeah, we'll throw the link in the notes. Awesome. So speaking of Cisco support here, uh, we touched upon SmartNet, and I'd, I'd like to li- dive a little bit deeper in there. So we have a couple different levels of SmartNet available. We have your uh, Cisco product support, which is going to include global 24-7 product level technical support, uh, 24-hour access to Cisco online resources, hardware replacement. Uh, we can have as little as two-hour, four-hour, or next business day replacement levels, depending on um, which level of service you'd like to uh, subscribe to, proactive diagnostics, uh, web-based user community for self-service, uh, Cisco application uh, support as well. So this is all included as part of your, what I would like to say, basic SmartNet package, right? But we do have another level that, of service that not all of our customers know about called Cisco solution support. Brian, why don't you, uh, why don't you dive a little bit deeper into that? Yeah, no, no problem, Brian. So, um, Traditionally, I mean, I guess TAC is going to be broken up into product groups. You'll have a, a group for LAN switching, a group for routing, a group for servers, data center networking, etc. Um, so when you open a case, you, you'll go to that respective team. Mm-hmm. But what we find today in a lot of environments is that you're not just looking at specific products. I mean, how many times when you guys were working on uh, on the customer side when you troubleshot a switch where you were just focused on one switch you know right. normally you were tracing something throughout an entire environment right so what solution support gets you is a comprehensive troubleshooting view of the entire network cisco will be the, your one-stop shop regardless of um, what vendors you have in your environment and regardless of what products within cisco you have in your environment Okay, so this is not just specifically inside Cisco. This can include other vendors as well. Yes, uh, some third-party vendors are definitely included in the service as well. 
Okay. Yeah, and that's a huge time saver. I mean, Absolutely. most enterprises have, what, 10, 20 vendors? Um, and you're troubleshooting an issue, the main question is, you know, which vendor do I call? At right. least with Cisco solution support, you can call Cisco, and then we'll take care of those next few steps for you. Mm-hmm. Yes, because the engineers are going to be trained on those products, and if, you know, it gets down to software level, mm-hmm. you know, vulnerability level, or defect level troubleshooting, they can involve that vendor uh, so th- for you. So this, so this allows really the customer to have a single point of contact within Cisco to troubleshoot a problem beyond the the walls of just the Cisco hardware by having that single point of contact. I mean, it, it's, it's a huge time saver, um, as well as making sure that the interconnectivities and all the best practices are followed from the Cisco side of things as well as the, the other vendors, right? Exactly. It goes from troubleshooting you know, on a, on a product level to troubleshooting on a support ecosystem level. Right, right. We're looking more at the business case rather than, rather than just the, the vendor in question. So to know which of those vendors, those third-party vendors, are supported today, please make sure to reach out to your Cisco account team uh, and mention you're interested in learning more about solution support and mention that you heard it on the show. So two other features that you get with solution support are prioritized case handling and proactive support to help identify and mitigate potential issues. And that's that's huge. I mean, I think at the end of the day, solution support is all about giving you time back um, from troubleshooting these issues and to be a little bit more proactive instead of reactive instead of reactive. And that's and that's huge. I don't I don't think any customer that I've dealt with um, can argue against that. I don't think they want more time taken away from them to do that stuff. So, all right. So now that we've talked about the the support, let's pivot a little bit and talk about some of the Cisco advanced services that are offered. So advanced services is an option for our customers that maybe don't have a Cisco certified partner in place, or they just need a little bit more help uh, to do it on their own. We can all help augment that with our advanced services arm where we can do things like risk assessment, implementation services, and we even have a incident response retainer uh, that we'll be definitely be sure to dive into in a security segment of our podcast. But for our customers that are looking for a little bit of extra help, Advanced Services is here to help. Yeah, and those advanced services can help, like you said, through the entire life cycle of a project. So if it's just like an advisory stage or all the way through implementing and optimizing a project, Cisco AS could help out with that. Awesome. So, Brian, Cisco has made a lot of changes with the licensing model uh, that we offer for our hardware. Can you elaborate a little bit more on, on what's new and what's changed? Absolutely. So, traditionally... Cisco sold perpetual license. What, mm-hmm. the, what this means is you would buy a box, whether that's a switch, router, et cetera, and coming with that box would be a perpetual license that would live throughout the life cycle of the hardware. Mm-hmm. Now we're doing term-based licensing. Okay. What that means is it's no longer perpetual. It's going to be in broken up into either one, three, or five-year, or three, five, or seven-year terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and what this gets you is, number one, transferability. So okay. no longer will that license die when the hardware dies. If you keep your hardware on a five or seven year life cycle, then when you go to update that hardware, the license will transfer with it. Okay. So it allows for some predictability, too, when it comes to licensing costs and, and hardware refresh re- uh, cycles as well, right? Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, you can now predict exactly how much you're going to spend per year, per month, whatever term you want to break it up into. And the license portability is huge, right? Because we've come into a lot of instances where 
we're trying to move a perpetual license from one piece of hardware to another and it just doesn't work or we've got to open up 14 different tag cases and it just becomes a nightmare. At first glance, it can seem like losing the ability to have a perpetual license and have to pay for a term license annually or quarterly or whatever. It seems like it would be more expensive over time, but the additional benefit that you get, as you've described, uh, can definitely outweigh that. Right, and it all depends on what your refresh lifecycle looks like. Right. There's a lot of charts that I've seen out there that actually compare perpetual versus term-based licensing, depending mm-hmm. on if you're working off of a three-year lifecycle, you know, five, seven, et cetera. Mm-hmm. And it'll show you the cost-benefit analysis of both. Okay. And it's going to change per product. You know, for instance, servers, you're not going to keep that for seven years, obviously. That's, that's got a much shorter lifecycle. Right. Whereas, you know management layer switches you you probably aren't going to be touching for a while okay yeah so this kind of jumps into the whole capex to opex shift that most companies are going through especially from you know a networking standpoint or an on-prem to cloud solution yeah so shifting over from a capex to an opex very much in the same way that cisco meraki has spearheaded this when we when we acquired them seven years ago we've, we've really taken that model and ingested it into everything else that cisco is doing and we're going to be continuing to do that across the rest of the product lines. So we've talked about the the software model, we've talked about the subscription model, advanced services, et cetera. So let's actually talk about the hardware, right? At the end of the day, that is what you're going to be refreshing. So let's let's start by talking about what's new in the Catalyst series, Joe. Yeah, so we've recently released the Catalyst 9K series, which includes the 92, 93, 94, and 9500 series. Um, the 9200 and 9300 are just your standalone access layer switch. Mm-hmm. The 9400 is your modular chassis switch. And then the 95, which we'll cover later in another episode, is your aggregation switch. And also the 93, 94, and 9500 offer the ability to run an x86 processor on the switch, which allows you to run software in a container. A uh, great example would be running Wireshark on the switch rather than having to run it on a laptop, set up a span port, uh, etc. So definitely makes for easier troubleshooting there yeah and the great thing about that is it's completely open concept so you could actually you know go into the switch um or write a python script and have it like you know export changes or like you said do some type of performance monitoring script nice so really powerful hardware we've got coming out in the catalyst 9 9000 series are they much more expensive than uh, than what we have now in the Catalyst 3000 series? Or what are we looking at in terms of price? I mean, we're getting a lot out of these. Yeah, and that's the great thing about the new Catalyst 9Ks. So when you compare, you know, say a Catalyst 9300 um, to a, you know, a spec-built 3850, it actually comes in, you know, at the same price, if not cheaper. Um, oh, wow. And you get all the additional features, capabilities, um, and software feature sets. So I'm going to get the additional features and capabilities at the same or lower cost. Plus, you also get the capabilities of the encrypted traffic analytics on the on the switch. And one of the main differentiators of the 9Ks is the UADP ASIC, which is the silicone chip in the switch. Um, this is one of the only programmable ASICs on the market, which allows you to get additional feature sets in the future um, via software upgrade. So it allows you to help future-proof your investment. Exactly. Fantastic. So with the Catalyst 9K series, what are we looking at in terms of an upgrade path um, from the previous generations, right? We have the the Catalyst 2960s, for example, that would probably map to a Catalyst 9200 or maybe a a Cisco Meraki switch. What about the rest of the Catalyst 9K series, 93, 4, 5? What would be those models that we would upgrade from? Right. If you've got, you know, say a 3650 
3750 or 3850, you'd be looking at the 9300. 9300, and from a pricing standpoint too, right? Exactly. Um, I would expect the 3650 to come in a little cheaper. Mm-hmm. Just from a feature standpoint, it's going to be so far beneath what the 9300 can do. Right. But uh, very comparable when you when you look at the 3750 or the 3850. Yeah, and that's the same thing when you jump up to the modular approach. You know, you have the traditional 4500 series, and that's where we jumped over to the 9400. Yeah, so for the uh, that that's going to be for the modular 4500, Joe. So for the fixed uh, models, the fixed 4500s, that's where we would make the jump to the Catalyst 9500. Okay, yep, exactly. Very good. So besides being able to use Catalyst in the campus, we can also look at the Meraki lineup. Uh, we have the Meraki MS line, which is the lineup of switches that are supported by Meraki. All of them are based on term-based licenses, anywhere from one to ten years. And all of them managed uh, by by uh, the cloud dashboard, which allows you to program and configure and even troubleshoot the switch all from the cloud. Exactly. Right. And Meraki is a great option if you're already using them for wireless or, or their other product portfolio because you get that single point of management. Mm-hmm. And um, if you just need a simple switching feature set, then they're a great first option. Definitely. And the co-terming is built in to the licensing model, which is uh, pretty cool. Makes everything easier, doesn't it? Very much so. Um, So switching over to the data center, um, we talked a lot about data center switching in our first episode. Be sure to check that out if you haven't already. Um, But Brian, can you touch a little bit more on on that? Yeah, yeah, just touch on it again. You know, obviously we covered this in the first episode, but there's going to be a lot of customers out there with Nexus 3Ks, 5Ks, 7Ks that are going to be approaching uh, an end of sale or end of life date. Um, So we do have the Nexus 9K lineup. As we mentioned in the previous podcast, this does come with those CloudScale ASICs, uh, which give you the intelligent buffers um, for your heavy data center traffic. Uh, In addition, we recently came out with a 400 gig option in the data center, which is massive. All right, so let's talk about routing, because you can't mention switching without routing. Um, We've got a lot of aging... Uh, 2900 series routers that are still out there. 2900s have been out of support now for a while, uh, but there's still some running. I mean, again, if it's if it's not broke, don't fix it. What would we be looking at in terms of an upgrade uh, path for those? So depending on you know number of ports needed and bandwidth running through those devices, uh, you'd be looking at either the ISR 4Ks or the newly released ISR 1K models. Okay. And what does that give us in terms of uh, additional capabilities? I know that we've got a lot of a good story behind SD-WAN and Viptela and, and stuff like that. What, what kind of other f- features or functionalities we'll be getting out of going that? Right. So in addition to the updated hardware, port speeds, bandwidth, um, you're going to be seeing all of that. The most important feature is the ability to run SD-WAN code, as mm-hmm. you mentioned. Um, so you can purchase these devices, set them up. Uh, have them run your WAN traffic, and then whenever you're ready to make the switch to SD-WAN, which we're you know seeing most customers take a look at if they're running any sort of MPLS uh, in their environment, then you can actually just wipe the device, install the SD-WAN code on it, mm-hmm. and you're good to go. Nice. And if it, our Viptela isn't our only option when it comes to SD-WAN, we also have the Meraki MX lineup too, which can f- fit about 90, 95% of the use cases out there. Um, for feature features and uh, and capabilities, so definitely reach out to your Cisco account team uh, to learn more about SD WAN. I'm sure we'll do a future episode diving a bit deeper into SD WAN and all the fun things that come along with it. Mm-hmm. 
Well, awesome, guys. I think we definitely uh, covered all the aspects of refreshing a network and why it's important to make sure that you have supported hardware in your environment uh, with things such as SmartNet. We also touched upon uh, advanced services for things like incident response and implementation services. We also went through and talked about the upgrade path for the hardware that is going or already is end of life. So, guys, I want to thank you for your time, and thank you for listening to ConfT with URSE. If you like the show, please consider sharing it with your friends and colleagues, giving us a rating on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Show notes for this episode can be found on our website at conft.show. That's C-O-N-F-T dot S-H-O-W. Until next time, stay safe and don't forget to save that config.